Welcome to episode 691 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alrighty, so welcome along to episode 691 of I Am Talk of Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. And you? You know what? I looked like you the other day. Did you? Because I went out for a bike ride. Oh my goodness. I did short bays on Sunday morning. Beautiful day for a bike ride. Yeah. Beautiful day for a Toasty bike ride. Toasty day. I even had this I Am Talk socks on. Nice. I did notice last week yours had holes in them. They did on the toes, yeah. yeah. You maybe time to throw them away. Yeah. So I had like the team kit on. I've got the team kit on today, so if you guys want to support the show, you can go to iamtalk.me and you can get, uh, we've got a store, you can go up there and you can get all sorts of kit. You can get socks that don't have holes in them. Yeah, mine didn't because it's the first time I've ever worn them. Nice. Yeah, it felt pretty cool to be honest. Yeah, so there you go, part of the crew, but anyway. I'm talking is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And Generation You Can. If you want to try something new in your training, make it you can. And our patrons. His name of Couple Jumbo. Olaf, the icebreaker Lundberg. Di- Adana. Dana. Dana, Dana, sorry. Dana, the dangerous deliverer. Kapow. Cowper. And Chris Shreddit Schrader. Good work in this week's show. We've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. We've got Age Group of the Week. We're going to interview John. We are talking to Mel Uri, who's been on the show once before. I think her nickname might be Big, Bigfoot. And she did the Uberman. Uh, we have talked about this on the show before, but I've never actually talked to anybody that's done it. Uh, she did it, and we're going to find out what she thought. And then we also have a, a website of the week. We haven't had one of those in a while. And uh, we of the week questions and answers. And then John, what a race on the weekend. I'm in Florida. And what a performance by Skipper. Yeah, it was impressive. Complete triathlon performance. It was indeed. Well, swim. No, you could say a complete bike run performance. Yeah, swim yeah, was a bit yeah. of a bit of a letdown. Yeah. Uh, but great racing by him and Ben Hoffman and Andrew Starkowitz. Um, and, you know... Andrew Starkowitz, he said, new bike course record 401 and 19, which is just insanely fast. And Has he done his, his best record? Uh, I don't Didn't think he he's been under four. four. Oh, I don't know about that, but he's certainly been in this region a couple of times. 401 is impressive. You know, your instinct sometimes with these, when you see these times, you're going, oh, maybe it's short. So I checked out Joe Skipper's uh, Strava files, and course accuracy is bang on at this race according to Joe's files he got 180.11 kilometers on the bike so perfect and 42.17 kilometers on the run so depending on when you start your watch there it's only you know 30 meters out um, which is amazingly accurate so geez um, very very fast times so Starkowitz wrote a 401 course record Ben Hoffman ran a 236 for a course record on the run um, but just got pummeled on the bike with a 417 uh, and Joe Skipper set a new course record with 746.28 and it was pretty close racing because uh, Joe had a good lead off the bike a good lead on Hoffman off the bike he was in third he He was in third place off the bike I think it was uh, Starkowitz and then Jesper Svensson and uh, Joe Skipper ran his way into the lead Um, but Ben Hoffman was lurking behind him and I think he got within about a minute 40 of him Um, but impressive racing very impressive but he only swam 54 in that 
somewhat let his overall time down a little bit, but 7.46 is bloody impressive. Well, so two things. There are two slots to go for Kona. So Skipper and Hoffman are booked in for next year's Kona, which really gives them a good platform to look at the mm. next year's kind of racing. Also a good payday here as well, 20K for Joe. Yep, it's because it's a male-only pro race. Yeah, which is good. Uh, so Starkowitz's previous race record was a 4.01.14, so this wasn't quite as fast. Mm. So he hasn't gone under that four-hour mark, and he did the nine-man Texas in, I think it was 2017. So um, that's that's the previous record for the IMM. And I thought to myself, geez, that's a, a seriously fast time. And I know that in Rote we've had uh, Jan Fredino go quicker than that with his 9.35. Uh, but then I was thinking, I wonder where Joe's performance actually rates on this list. And it is right up there. So he would slot in. I don't know if he's updated this list here. Uh, so you've got Jan Fredino, the fastest of all time in uh, Rote. You've got Tim Don in Brazil. You've got Andreas Raylert in Rote. Lionel Sanders in Arizona. Marino in Klagenfurt. And Joe Skip is probably going to tick in just behind Brent McMahon, who did a 7.46 in Brazil. Um, but what I would say is I would rate Joe's performance above quite a few of those other ones above him, purely because we know it's accurate. Rote is a little bit short. Um, I've, I've seen that myself. And yeah, I, but six minutes short? No, no, I'm not saying it's the fastest of all time for, 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 for Joe, but I'm saying Rote's got, got an asterisk next to it. A little, it's a little bit short on the, both the bike and the run, um, and I've seen that pretty much every year. <clears throat> but you could argue he's yep. got some hills on the on the bike, etc. But it is a little bit short. Brazil has definitely had some question marks around it um, in terms of getting assistance from the lead vehicles and accuracy. Um, and likewise with Klagenfurt, uh, and we know when Peter Reed did his amazing race there, he said it was definitely short. Um, but I, I don't recall off the top of my head if it's uh, if it's one hundred percent accurate these days. But yeah, that, uh, we can't. We're not comparing apples with apples. You know, I, I tend to just look at course records now. That was a course record, and it was an amazing performance, and it was accurate, and it was only three weeks after Kona. Yeah, and he had a good Kona as well too, didn't he? He did, and so did, so did Ben Hoffman. So I wonder but, how, how they start to think about this season moving forward. Oh, it's brilliant. It just means you can you can think what has been the best season that I've had or what's been the best lead into Kona, and you can just go and try to replicate it. Now, that might mean they still do um, more Ironmans. I'm sure it will, but... You can pick and choose, and for someone like Joe, he can go, right, I can chase a bit, bit, well, both of them, they can chase a bit more money, maybe go and do rote, like I know Hoffman was down to do rote last year and had to pull out through injury, so they'll get good appearance fees for, for being there, and it just means they can do whatever they want to do. Yeah, good times. Okay, we also had a couple of 70.3s, and Caffrey and Sanders took out Los Cabos. So again, back in the back in the saddle for Lionel Sanders, uh, so Los Cabos, and then at the South American 70.3 champs, we had uh, Rudy Von Berg and... And Chelsea Sodaro take that out. Okay, there we go. Um, Nothing coming up. Yeah, it's it a pretty quiet week coming up. Um, we are heading into the quiet time of the year, aren't we? We are indeed. A couple more races coming up, but it's definitely that later part of the year is where things fade away. Uh, John's ITU update. We had uh, ITU 2019 Lima World Cup. First time they've had a race, uh, a World Cup level race in Peru. Um, Manuel Messias from Brazil took that out. He's a former world junior champion. Uh, sprint distance race, he beat out Florian Salzburg and Felix Duchamp and then on the female side of things we had Andrea Hewitt back racing uh, she was just a little bit off the pace but still managed to come in in sixth place which was cool geez you look down at the ages actually her and Ayuada, Ayuada took out the race again and she won last weekend in 
Oh, I can't remember where it was now. Uh, and then she, I think she was second in Tungyung a couple of weeks ago. So she had three races in about the last month and has finished uh, one, one, and two, I think. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and it was basically a sprint finish between three of them. But AU Ada and Andrea, Andrea's 1982 birth, and AU Ada is 83. And then you look at the rest of the girls, and they were all in the 90s, a couple of them late 80s. Those girls must feel pretty. Uh, Elderly oh, statesmen when they're in there. What, what, what with Andrea uh, Olympics? Yeah, I think that's the the sort of the aim is to try to make it. I don't think she'll be a uh, contender, but uh, I think that's the aim is to try to make the Olympics. But she's got to, yeah, she's got to sort of prove that you know. Firstly, you've got to qualify for the, enough spots for the team, and then it's down to the you know New Zealand Olympic Federation whether they decide if she's worthy or not. You've really got to prove for uh, in New Zealand is. Yeah, if you're not a, like a top 16 contender, they're not generally going to invest the money in, in sending you there. So, um, yeah, so she's going to have to, she's got a big year in front of her. Just before we move on, John. Uh, oh, no, we are, we get we get a little bit of a contributor's note in the Olympic dream, the formative years of the ITU. So the ITU have released a kind of a, like a little small magazine style article or Booklet. Booklet. Booklet's probably how you put it. Um, which is around how the Olympic dream actually started. And they contacted us a while ago and said, can we use some of your work from your Legends of Triathlon podcast, that one that we put out every week? Um, <laughs> and uh, it's been almost like the two years since we've done one. But yeah. it, it's just this cool little booklet that takes you through. Now, where do you get it? Um, I'll find out about that. But... Um it is a good little booklet. I just started reading it last night, actually, and it just goes through the very early days of how, basically how the ITU was formed and how the sport f- sort of first started and, and, the, and the players, etc. How about that for the 80s? Oh, it's oh, Mark gone. Allen's got the, the stonewashed jeans on with the white shoes. He's looking a bit Jerry Seinfeld, to be honest. <laughs> Loving that. So we'll find out where you can get copies of that, but for you, all you history anoraks who, who love to find out you know, the roots of the sport, go and uh, we'll find out. Where you guys can get that Now, from. this is in the show notes, John, but we are just going to do a quick what happened in the Rugby World Cup final. Okay. Did you watch it? I did not. I, I got up uh, on Sunday morning and put on the highlight. I didn't watch no, it. wasn't even the highlights. It did was you a, know the result when you watched it? I didn't. It was the short version highlights, and so I had no idea what sort of happened in the game. And I, when I watched that, I thought, this is a really shit game because it just went from penalty to oh, penalty okay. to penalty yeah, penalty. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't really watch the game, and um, but it sounded like a pretty dominating performance by South Africa. It was actually... It was actually a good game as in it was tight. Mm-hmm. Like it was tension-filled. Um, and the box were amazing, man. Their defense were – it was phenomenal. And I won $100. Oh, nice work. Because I, I had the Saffirs in my sweepstake at work, so I won 100 bucks. Pretty happy about that. And last week when we lost John, we got quite a few emails yeah. from our listeners in the UK giving us a bit of a rip. Well, only one person, Martin White, he sent through a game, okay, back in the box. He's the only <laughs> person who kind of sent me this. So well done, Martin. But it was, it was, it, it was probably – the best finish, because South Africa's probably got a pretty hard kind of story in their country right mm-hmm. now, and it's a pretty unifying story. This, So if any outcome other than obviously the Kiwis wanting to win it, it was probably the best outcome for the sport really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And yeah. also, in the nine World Cups, only one Northern Hemisphere's team has won it. Good. Yeah. And South Africa became the first team to lose. So technically, you know... We, we are the best. We are the best, <laughs> because we beat South Africa in pool play, and South Africa became the first team to go on to win a World Cup uh, after losing a match in pool play. So team... So well done, South Africa. So well done, and I made 100 bucks. I'm pretty stoked about and that. And New Zealand finished third. We beat the... We had, they had a third and fourth playoff. For, Did you watch that? Uh, no. It was a pretty... I really, really loved that I know, game. I did watch parts of it. I loved it, because the thing about it was... So for those who don't know much of rugby, there was basically four or five Kiwi guys who... 
legends in the game but weren't no longer in the team but were in the squad. So because they weren't going to make the final, they put these guys in. And I'm glad they got that kind of final send-off. Mm. Like Ben Smith played amazingly. So anyway, loved it. Anyway, this week's discussion. What do you do to put kind of your local rival off? So when you're in the local race, doing some racing, what are the things that you do to kind of, you know, just annoy or put someone off in a race that takes them off a little bit of focus? Jombo? Let's have a discussion. Tim Tansley, uh, accelerate to keep them in the draft zone. I know searching is bad, but it makes it feel more like a race. I could say Ben Pistala. Um, I'm happy sitting right on someone's shoulder on the run and giving the clearest indication that I uh, that I am running comfortably, com- completely comfortable within and within myself. That's a good one, eh? When you're right beside them, you don't breathe too hard. Yep. You, you, know, you really focus on, even if you're dying on the inside, mm-hmm. keep it calm. Oh, yeah, you got to. Um, David Ashcroft, talk about Brexit when entering the swim. That's a good tactic, actually. What is this? Talk about Brexit when you're entering the swim to some, some Brit, and they're going to be passionate one way or the other on it, probably, <laughs> and it's just going to completely throw them off their game. Um, good old Hell, uh, Hell Dolphin has got I touch them gently on the ear blow gently in the ear and whisper I love it when you bend over in the ear about <laughs> okay, that would definitely put people off uh, yeah <laughs> uh, a couple of people have said beat them Erin uh, Rensky said beat them so as did uh, Chrissy the Grinder McKinley I saw the Grinder the other day actually I, was, I did short bays and then Joe and I went into a walk in Autumn Bradley Park mm-hmm. and we then went to the Governor's Bay pub for lunch yes Coming back, had to sit behind the grinder going around the corner up the hill. Because <laughs> yeah, she had the epic camp gear on. Yeah. Mark Sisson's got hum the Jaws theme as the start of the swim. A couple of people have said this. Thomas uh, Thomas Quirk said pee in front of them on the bike leg. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Jeremy Rimey has got uh, whatever it takes, no mercy, swim them into the boys, sit on the hips, good clean fun until it happens to you. You didn't do Duncan Penfold, did you? No. Uh, two things. One, stay really close in the swim or run effectively breathing down their neck. Number two, point out the thing that things the things that aren't working, i.e. your shoelace is loose, your number is flapping, your rubbish is about to fall out of your pocket. Just want to point out things that could annoy them. Uh, Brendan John Murray has got wrecking the bike and saying how underdone you are. It was done to me once and now I call bullshit every time. <laughs> Always take the sword. Jordan Blanco, nothing besides a smile and a wave. My rivals are often my friends and after being in the sport for almost 20 years. Uh, Jamie Anderson's got, I know another pro who called someone a big German sausage. I don't know who that is. I don't know. Yeah. Inside joke, I think. No. Um, someone's got asked Aaron Theron. who asked him this week, Clive. Yeah. Clive's got asked ask Aaron Theron because they smashed us the week before. Yes. How did he go this week, Clive? Hey, hey, Clive. Yeah. Hey, how did he go? Yeah. Did he put his medal on? Yeah, <laughs> poor bloody losers. <laughs> uh, okay, John, you, what do you do? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I don't know if you, we're getting the responses you wanted there, Bevan. I think you wanted people to get really nasty and tell yeah. them how they'd be. Uh, no, it have to be nasty. Psychological warfare. Like, like, for example, I remember with Brendan Del Campo when he was doing Ironman New Zealand, and I think I was trying to have a pretty good race, and we were competitors. And Brendan was always someone who would have a bit of doubt. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't try to walk, talk him out of his dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when he started talking, doing, doing, oh, I'm feeling a bit injured. Yeah, you have been, you know, I didn't notice it in your training. You, yeah. know? you know, so that was something that I kind of psychologically did to, to my advantage, mm-hmm. you know. And so I wasn't really being a prick, but I definitely wasn't trying to help him out of a situation. And I think this would be different if we were both, say, like on the ITU circuit, then I think yeah. this would come into play a lot more. But 
you know, for most of us, when we go out there racing, we're not really racing other people that yeah, much. Yeah, but over maybe such not in there, but like in local sprint local, triathlon. Yeah, if you if you're rocking up to your local sprint race, yeah. Um, so I, I guess my things are probably more tactical sort of decisions rather than things you know, pre-race trying to get in people's heads. So if somebody is uh, is tapping me on the swim, I'm going to be putting in some pretty big fishtail swerves <laughs> to get rid of them, and I have been known to do that at fairly late notice. Uh, as What's a fishtail swerve? Never heard well, of so you're swimming along. Long and you know they're trying to just follow your bubbles, and you just put in a wild swerve off to the side and then straighten uh, up uh, just to get, and them you off get a bit your of feet. a surge, uh, a bit a bit of a surge as well. And you know you can, if you wanted to, do that when you're approaching like an intermediate intermediate boy, like you swim straight at the boy if it's just a small one that's oh, not. So they specialise. And so then you put do a swerve, and then they may swim straight into that. <laughs> that's just what I've heard you do. Okay. Um, also, other things. Forcing people to go to the front, you know, um, and again, that's more of a tactical thing rather than trying to get in their heads. So slowing down, whether it be on the the bike or the run, to try to force somebody to come through uh, and take their sort of turn on the front. And then, yeah, another tactical thing might just be on on climbs, you know, deciding what the other person, where their strengths and weaknesses might lie, whether that be slowing down a little bit at the bottom of the climb or attacking at the bottom of the climb. But they're more sort of tactical things rather than necessarily trying to get in someone's head. What did you try to do to get in my head, Bevan? What did you? What did you? Oh, definitely you talk to you too much for a race. That would yeah. do your head in. Yeah, that was an easy one for me. Mm. <laughs> you know, we don't really race that much, but um, yeah, if you want to annoy Newsom, just go talk to him about something. Yeah. Just anything. But uh, but then I'll just ignore you. <laughs> yeah, no, but you still you, you, your attention builds. It <laughs> 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 definitely builds. Um, what else would I do to annoy people? Definitely, well, not near. Uh, kind of, you know, if it's the, the old school tricks. If you're passing someone, just destroy them. You know, you 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 go past strong mm. you know that you seem it's easy um no probably that's about it mm. you know but yeah like like with del campo i didn't encourage him out of a bad situation yeah you know because i thought well it's actually to my advantage if he's feeling a bit you know mm. miserable so yeah good times okay this week's discussion john tell us your nutrition disasters either within a race pre-race or something that has just gone tits up when you're racing Okay, your nutrition disasters. John, let's do a sponsor. Let's talk about extreme endurance, your lactic buffer. If you are skeptical about extreme endurance, they have. Uh, if you're in the US, they have a one-week trial you can take. So it's thirteen ninety-five, and that gives you seven days worth of tablets, and that is enough to get you to a start line and for you to actually uh, notice a difference. So go to, onto X and X Endurance and look for their um, sample packs. If you do want to try their other products as well, they have pretty much everything in a sample pack. But in terms of the main one that we often talk about, Extreme Endurance, get on there. You basically take it for, say, six days before the race, take it on the race day, and uh, and sure you're going to feel a hell of a lot better and also your recovery is going to be enhanced so we know that you know it's a bit of a funny time of the season a lot of the northern hemisphere athletes you might be going into a, a running focus a perfect timing when your legs are taking a bit of a beating over the winter to, to test this out and for you southern hemisphere athletes maybe you know a lot of you will be building towards Ironman races uh, in the new year or half Ironman sort of key races whether they be Challenge Wanaka or half Ironmans in Australia or South Africa um, but you know at this time of the year you might be doing the odd little sprint race or build up race and again trialling the product you never want to try anything new on race day um, but I've never heard anybody give any um, side effects from taking extreme endurance so get on there try a one week trial and uh, proof will be in the pudding it's not actually that much to get a whole month's worth so while you're there you might as well do that but if you are a real sceptic just want to check it out Thirteen ninety five if you're in the states to get a one week trial pack check it out Xendurance.com. Yeah, and it's a really good way of going about doing it because, you know, a good 5K race, good hard effort. You can mm. try this and you can really see because 
you know, we've had so many people come back to us and just say it's been a really great product, and John raves about it himself. Um, but, you know, you need to try things yourself, and you may think, oh, I'm not sure. Well, this one-week trial, give it a go. Give it a big bash on a big race and see if it makes a big difference for you, which if it does, it's a big part of the equation. Exactly. John, what's the website? Xendurance.com. Check, check, check it or out, if you're in Or if you're in Europe, there's the .eu, and if you're in New Zealand or Australia, you can get it through me. John, I was sitting on the couch before. Yeah, I don't know what you were doing over there. I was trying to concentrate. <laughs> oh, because I just looked over here. and People can't see what I'm holding, but I just saw that side okay, of it. Yeah. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what's that? That looks like something beginning with D and finishing with O. <laughs> But it's not. It's it's a body message, yeah. It's just Mm. the handle looked a little bit funny, but Mm. it's okay. Anyway, uh, John, we're going to go to an interview. Yeah, let's hear. Who's interview? We've got a minute. Who's the interview with? We're talking with Melissa Uri, who has done the big man. No, it isn't the Uber man. Uber man. (laughs) I think her nickname is Bigfoot. That's where I was getting confused. Okay, she's the big man, Bigfoot at the Uber man. Here she is. Here's Melissa. Right, guys. Um, so Uberman is something that we, we talked to the race director, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, when this sort of concept came out. And it's a crazy adventure we're going to hear about in just a moment. Um, but yeah, I haven't. It, it, we're just going to ask Mel a little about it. So Melissa Uri finished the race, uh, was a couple of weeks or maybe a week or two ago. Um, she's going to tell us all about it. So first of all, um, Mel, welcome back to the show. Just tell us what the hell Uberman is. <laughs> Thanks, John and Bev. It's nice to be back. Um, yeah, so Uberman is a combination of a couple of events that Dan has decided to mash together. So it's the um, Catalina Channel Swim from Catalina Island across to Palos Verdes in California. So it's a 34-kilometre swim. And then you ride, uh, it's 400 miles, so it's about 640k from Palos Verdes down to Badwater Basin. And then you do the Badwater Run, so it's 135 miles or and that works out to be about 216k um, up to Mount Whitney, up to the trailhead. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty big. So it combines the Catalina Swim and the Badwater Run with a bike to get you from one to the other. <laughs> and, and how many people actually do it? You know, it says a maximum of 12, and, and I see some years there was a, just a small handful. So how many people typically do it, and how many people did it this year? So in previous years, there's been only one person who, I, I think the first year there was a few more people, but only one finished and there was a relay team. One person did each leg. And then the other couple of years, there's only been one person turn up and finish it. And then this year, there was three of us. Mm. So, so wait a second. So they have a maximum of 12 athletes, but most year they're only really getting a couple of people. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because there's only that many nutters in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, like this year, I think there was quite a few more people who were interested, but then it's a matter of just who gets to turn up to the finish line based on injuries and whatever else, life issues that come up. So, yeah. So is the the, the route, you know, you, you sort of said where the route goes. Is it more a case of they've mapped out a a route to follow and it's kind of see you at the start line, see you at the finish or is it really an event or just something you're kind of doing by yourself? Yeah, it kind of feels like it's something you're doing by yourself just because there's really no one else around. Um, It's not an official sanctioned race. So we do have maps, we do have a course, but it's just like point A, point B, off you go. (laughs) Mm. It's very, very low key. Mm. So talk talk us through the swim. What's the you know? Um, it's a, obviously a bloody long way, and it looks like you get dropped out at, at this island. So you know, talk us through you know doing a swim like this as opposed to maybe doing Ultraman, which you know a lot of us can can 
probably get our head around swimming 10 kilometres, um, especially when there's other people around. But uh, in terms of swimming that distance, um, talk us through how, how basically how it works. Yeah, so Catalina swims all start in the middle of the night um, because that's the when the most favourable tides are. So you basically swim majority of the night. So I started about 10pm. Um, you go over on your boat um, with your crew and your boat captain and they drop you off. There's a beach called Doctor's Cove, which apparently is where all the swimmers start from. So I'm like, well, if that's what they do, then that's what I'm going to do. And so, um, yeah, like, you know, you swim to the beach, you get out and then, then your swim starts. And so you've got a kayaker next to you and then a boat. So I swam between the two of them. Um, and because it was dark, they had glow sticks on the side of the boat. So you knew like, you know, how far away roughly you were from the boat and the kayaker. And so when um, I needed to feed up, I gave my kayaker a whistle. So then I actually had some kind of noise attention to to know when to go over to the kayak because otherwise, you know, if he raised his arm or anything, I wouldn't necessarily see because, you know, it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and because it wasn't an official swim, um, I did it in a wetsuit because I was like, well, you know, I want to try and give myself every advantage to not completely destroy myself in the swim before, you know, I have to then bike and run, which was was good and bad. Um, it was good, you know, for the extra flotation and, you know, because I'm used to swimming in wetsuit, but it was bad in some ways because it um, absolutely tore the hell out of my neck because I taped oh, yeah. my neck beforehand, yeah, but then that only lasted about 10K. So I still had like 24K with nothing. Um, so it was just, there was things like that that Ooh. I hadn't really thought about. Oh, it was terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay now. I think I've still got a bit of a red mark on my neck, which will hopefully slowly fade. But yeah, like there was there was a few things that I kind of I hadn't really considered in that way because I was like, oh, you know, wetsuit, it'll be it'll be fine. But, you know, that was that was something with the, with the salt water. But it was it was actually really fun swimming at night. Like I've never done a night swim before, so that was that was very very unusual. Because I came from Melbourne winter, so I wasn't in the ocean at all over over winter until I actually got over to California a couple of weeks earlier and managed to do a, a couple of ocean swims. And I did a, um, a ten mile ten mile swim over there as well, ten mile race. But that was kind of it. So I was like, well, you know, I know I can swim twenty k because I've done it before. So we'll just you know see how this goes and I'm determined and stubborn enough that once I start something I won't finish until I'm till I'm done um I I kind of had um at about that three o'clock sleepiness three o'clock in the morning you know okay the sun needs to come up now so then like it'll wake me up and and rejuvenate me so that was that was probably like the hardest the hardest time during the night that I found but I found the rest of it was actually was actually really really nice and really fun um and then because it took me just under 12 hours to, to do the swim. And I'd spoken to somebody beforehand who does a lot of kayaking escorts and knows the channel really, really well. And he said to me, you know, in the last quarter of your swim, don't look up, don't look towards the shore. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah no worries. And, you know, of course, you're looking towards the shore because you're like, oh, my God, I'm getting so close now. But because the ocean's so deep, you can't do any underwater navigation. You can't tell how quickly you're moving so you're looking to the shore and it doesn't look like it's getting any closer. And then you start going, am I actually moving forward at the moment or am I just stuck? <laughs> am I just swimming in the one spot? But I kept looking to my car and I'm like, well, he's not paddling backwards. So that means he is moving forwards. So yes, I am slowly getting there. But it was, it was one of those things like you look up and you're like, oh, okay, it's probably about an hour till I get there. But it actually ended up being two hours because it's just very deceptive towards, towards the end of the swim. But 
Yeah, I, I, I was thinking I really, that might have been um, another advantage to actually swimming in the dark because I was thinking myself that you can probably see your finish point if it was light when you're starting the swim and by being dark then you just sort of get into a rhythm. Yeah, I mean you can see the lights from the mainland but mm. yeah, in the middle of the night you have no idea how far away that is. Mm. Yeah, so it, it is it is pretty cool but yeah, toward, towards the end it was, it was a little tough but... I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I'll definitely do another night swim. That was really fun. Well, what's, what's the strategy going into a swim like that? Basically, um, I just – I don't think about the whole distance. I don't think about, you know, the enormity of the whole thing. I just kind of go, okay, you know, let's just swim to the next feed, you know, and then just clock off the kilometres as you go and, you know, just, just keep going. I – I do like to know how far I have to go. Um, I do like to, you know, look at my kilometres. And one thing that actually um, confused the hell out of me is that at one stage um, one of the boat crew said to me, oh, you know, you've done 6.8 nautical miles, you're you're almost halfway. And I'm like, hang on, it's a 20-mile swim. How is that halfway? (laughs) But I don't understand the the difference between nautical and real miles. <laughs> Apparently, mm. they go a lot quicker. So that kind of messed me up for a bit there. But I, overall, my strategy is just like you know, just take it little chunks at a time, and then you know, eventually you'll you'll get to the shore, um, and then just deal with whatever comes up. Like I felt a bit sick. I vomited a few times. And I'm like, okay, let's try and problem solve this. What else can I do? How else can I manage this? And, and just try the best you can, really. So, you know, when, you, when you're doing an event like this, I guess you can spend as long as you like in transition um, because, you know, it's not like people are probably watching a live stream or anything like that and there's no prizes for the first or anything. Um, but you didn't seem to spend too long in T1, three hours and 21 minutes. So what, what was your strategy before you, before starting the bike in terms of, you know, not having a rest or, or not having too much of a rest before you, before you kicked off? Yeah, so the whole idea behind that was I wanted to sleep but not for too long because of the traffic because I didn't want to get stuck in traffic. I didn't want my crew to get stuck in traffic kind of late into the evening. I really wanted to get out of LA, out of the city because we went, you know, kind of through Malibu and through all these, you know, quite quite heavy areas and like all you hear about LA is about the traffic and how crazy it is and, you know, how you can drive for two hours and make five kilometres. So. I really wanted to kind of get past that. But the other thing was I didn't want to um, to not sleep in between the swim and the bike because I'm well aware that, you know, after spending 12 hours in the water, I might have that kind of feeling like you're still in the water and your head's all over the place and, you know, I didn't want to get straight on the bike because I was like, well, you know, I've also been awake for, you know, hours and hours. So I find with me a couple of hours sleep actually really refreshes me and I feel like you know I've actually slept for a lot longer than I have so that was kind of the the way that we came up with okay two hours on the bike and then once we get out of town once we get to kind of a quieter area if I'm feeling more tired then I can stop and sleep because we had an RV with us so it was perfect to be able to you know just pop into that I had a bed I could sleep on I could change my clothes I could use the toilet and you know have something to eat and then then get going again as I needed to. So bikes fifty takes you fifty one hours and twenty one minutes. Um, talk us through, you know, the the terrain that you sort of went through. I know getting out of LA was probably not a lot of fun, um, but sort of talk us through the terrain for the rest of the ride and, and how you sort of structured that. Yeah, so I um, 
it was a mixture really like there was some really long flat sections and then there was some hilly sections um it was yeah it was a bit kind of all over the place the total elevation ended up I think it ended up being about 6,000 meters 7,000 meters um yeah so you know there definitely was a fair bit of climbing but it never felt like I was climbing for a long period of time until the very last hill that I had to do which is actually the first hill that you do on the on the run um and that's probably I think it's about like a 20 to 30k climb I can't remember exactly um to get over into into Badwater Basin so I did actually majority of the ride um on my road bike like initially I just started off on that because I'm like well it's easier to to ride that through traffic for me and you know, I'm not used to the cars on the other side of the road and I don't really know how they're going to, you know, be with a cyclist around. So that was kind of my, my thoughts behind that. And then I just stayed on it because, you know, I'd be on a flat section and then I'd start climbing again. I was like, well, you know, because I had both my um, my trail bike and my road bike there just in case something happened to one of the bikes um, or the terrain was, you know, quite favourable for one particular bike, then I could change over as, as needed because it's not a race. So you don't have these rules about, you know, not, not being able to change bikes until one's completely broken or, you know, or whatever mm. like that. Um, <clears throat> so I just kind of use that to, to my advantage as well. Um, yeah, but overall my strategy was just, you know, to ride as far as I could, as long as I could until, you know, I kind of got to the point where I was feeling quite fatigued and needed to, to stop and sleep and, you know, sleep for a few hours. Um, I think my longest sleep maybe was like three, four hours and then, you know, get up and get moving and get riding again. Um, and, and how often were you sleeping? So on the first night, I stopped for about an hour because I just wanted, you know, I was getting quite tired and I was about to start climbing because my, my crew had the maps with the elevation and everything. And they're like, okay, stop now, have a rest, refresh, and then get going again. And I, I tried to sleep, but I couldn't sleep at that point. And then it got to about four o'clock in the morning and I was getting really, really tired. And they're like, okay, let's, you know, and my crew were also getting quite tired. So I'm like, okay, well, let's all, you know, stop. We'll all have a sleep for, you know, a couple of hours and then get going again. And then it was um, daylight. So, you know, that always kind of wakes me up and refreshes me as well. So that was, that was quite good. I went through, so I got going again probably about 7, 7.30 in the morning. I went through until probably mid-afternoon um, and then I could start to see my vision was getting a bit blurry and getting, you know, I was getting really tired at that point. So I'm like, all right, stop, sleep. Because um, it was it was just basically, you know, to see how far I could go and then stop and sleep and then, you know, get back up and get moving again. And when I was riding at night time, I had a friend who had his car with him, so he was able to direct follow um, behind so they could keep quite a close eye on me as well and make sure that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything dangerous or, you know, the other cars around were, you know, were well aware that, that I was there as well. So that was, that was quite helpful. Um, and then on the, the second night through, I think it was probably around the same time, maybe around like three o'clock in the morning, um, I was, you know, talking to my crew and they're like, okay, you know, there's this really big climb, which was the last climb to do. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that in the dark. I don't want to be descending that in the dark. You know, let's let's wait until the morning for that. They said, okay, we'll try and get over this other climb, um, which was a lot smaller, you know, see how you go. And I was riding along and I just said to them, I was like, no, I can't even concentrate riding uphill at the moment. Like there's no way I'm going to be safe descending. So I'm just going to stop. And they're like, okay. And like, we had that respect and trust with each other. Like if they said you need to stop, you're not safe. I'd be like, yep, fine. Obviously you're seeing something that I can't see. Or if I said to them, like, this is not okay. They're like, yep. Okay. No worries. We'll stop now. And then, and then we'll, um, you know, we'll go again when it gets a bit, a bit lighter. 
so yeah like I I think I probably had it, it's it's really hard to to kind of think about because it all feels like one continuous long day that I went for mm. um but I know on the the swim and bike I had a lot less sleep and then I had more sleep um, as I went into the run as well just because it was hotter and I, I needed to rest during the day a little bit longer as so well the, so the run you know in a standard triathlon you kind of we kind of look at the splits and if you run slower than your your bike time it's kind of like pull your pants down and get a spank bottom for um but this is obviously not a standardized sort of distance so the run took you 64 hours was that a factor of the run just happened to be a lot you know a lot longer uh, a discipline compared to the other two or did it end up being a hike so maybe yeah just talk us through the run and um if it went to plan and if you were running or more sort of hiking to get through it yeah, it's really funny. I thought about that too, and I was like, "This is the one time that my bike being <laughs> being fast in the run, I'm totally okay with." Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was really interesting. Like, I've I've never run over 100k. I did a 100k trail run earlier this year. So I was starting the run, and I had a I have always have my crew with me on the run because it's great because then I can have a chat to them, and you know, then um, I can have that kind of social time as well with them. It's it's really nice, and they can carry nutrition for me. And I was running with a friend who's done a lot of, you know, really long distance, 200, 400 kilometer runs. And I said to him, I was like, look, I don't know how to pace this. Like, what do you recommend? And he said, you know, walk more, like, you know, sleep more and just run bits when you can. So like I was still running and I still ran, you know, through the whole whole way. Like there's three really quite big climbs that, you know, I just walked the whole time. Anytime there was any incline, I just walked because I was like, well, you know, I don't want to burn out my legs. I just, you know, I'm fatigued enough as it is. My only goal is to finish this. I don't have, you know, I had a time goal of I wanted to do it in five to six days, but that was like a, you know, a BC goal. Like it was, you know, always stay safe, have fun were always my two ultimate goals. So I did walk um, a decent chunk of it. And then, you know, the very last climb going up to Mount Whitney, it's really, really steep. So <laughs> there's, there's no option of, of running um, in that section. And there was like there was really quite long flat sections through the desert between the climbs as well. So, you know, I'll be walk running those. But, I mean, by that stage, my run's really not that fast anyway. Mm. So, yeah. And, like, usually when I'm climbing, I'm hiking and I'm going, like, quite fast. But, again, I was like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm 20, you know, however far I was in, like 70Ks, I think, before the first climb. And I was like, well, I don't want to, again, fatigue myself too much that I won't be able to get through the whole thing. So I was like, well, I'll just see how I go because with bad water, the cutoff is 48 hours. And I'm like, hats off to people who can do this in 48 hours. Obviously, they haven't done what I've done beforehand. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, as soon as I start, I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this done in two days. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> so you're the first female to ever line up, the first female to ever complete the course. You set uh, a swim course record. I know records and stuff in these races, uh, there's not that many people that have done them, but you still set a swim course record, you set a bike course record. Um, and was it the fastest time recorded for the for the combined event or was it the second fastest time? It was the second fastest time. Um, yeah, and I was actually, the Dan told me that I got the bike course record, but I actually didn't by about two hours. The other guy did. He ah. finished. Yeah, I know. That was, yeah, that, anyway, that's okay. <laughs> um yeah, so I finished um, at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I think Adam finished maybe like 11, 12 hours before me. Yeah. Um, we were really quite close on the swim and bike and then he um, did the run a lot quicker 
than I did and he was sleeping a lot less than I was. So we both um, got the swim course record. Um, he came under it as well. And then we both um, got the overall course record by significant amount. I think I did by like 31 hours and I'm not sure exactly what, what he was. Um, yeah, so we, we both had the same strategy of not, you know, still get on the bike the same day the swim which no one had done before and you know try and get through the course as quick as possible so yeah it was very very different approaches this year to other people so you've done lots and lots of crazy endurance feats it's kind of your buzz where does this sit on what you've done and you know on challenge you know and reward and all the rest of it yeah yeah no i i really have i really have done lots of things um this is pretty pretty incredible i always find after big events i it takes me a while to actually process what i've done what's happened and the fact that yes i actually have done that and i'm kind of still in that phase of you know just sitting there i'm like wow was that me was that was that something that i did it just i don't know it feels kind of abstract and a bit unbelievable to me for for a period of time um it definitely does stand out as one of one of the highlights just because of the enormity of it and you know it kind of it feels a bit impossible until you do it and then it's like wow that's that's pretty pretty impressive and you know the amount of people that keep saying oh you know I'm really proud of you for doing that and I just sit there I'm like yeah I'm actually really proud of myself as well like that was that was pretty pretty cool um and I think the other thing that I am really, really happy about is the approach that we took to the event and to getting through it. It was just a combination of, you know, I did my first Ironman 10 years ago and I started ultra racing five years ago. And the ability just to have every single scenario potential um, and then a strategy, a way to, to manage that. There was a couple of things that, you know, did kind of surprise me. I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. But majority of the things like I got no blisters because I had strategies about how to manage my feet on the run like I just every single thing that came up I was like yep been there done this know what to do so that kind of felt like a a celebration of the past 10 years of experience and knowing what to do and just you know kind of I don't know I don't really know how to explain that but yeah it was it was pretty pretty cool and so what sort of happens at the finish? I saw you a picture of you sort of got to a trailhead and you were holding up some sort of um, big wooden hammer type thing. Is it was that? Uh, so maybe explain what happens at the finish. Yeah. <laughs> so the finish was really cool because there was a bunch of people around who had no idea what was going on, but they saw my crew and they just started clapping and cheering. Then they're like, "Okay, so what have you just done?" <laughs> so that was, that was really fun. Um, yeah. So. At the finish, um, Dan has this like big hammer thing and his reference is, you know, you drop the hammer and, you know, to, to get this done. Um, so that's, you know, like you hold it up and then it, it gets passed to the next athlete on, you know, who's who's going to be finished and you get a little dog tag with your name on it put on the box of, of the hammer's, you know, official finish. Um, yeah, and it, it's so low-key, which is what I also love about ultras. You know, it was just my crew around and just, you know, these these other people and you know, everyone's cheering, took some photos and then we're like, okay, cool, we're done. And, you know, went back to the hotel and had a few celebratory well, they had a few drinks, so I was just like, I'm just going to pass out now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, guys, if you want to check it out, go to uberman1.com. Um, uberman.com must have been taken when you set this up. Yes. <laughs> um, any other sort of uh, advice you've got, Mal, or any, any um, tips or, or any thank yous or references to where you've sort of documented all this? 
Yes. So I'm in the process of writing my race report. It's taking me a little while to kind of get all my thoughts together, but that will be up on my blog. It's rangamel.wordpress.com. Um, and I'm, yeah, kind of slowly putting photos and, and things on Instagram, which is at rangamel, and my um, athlete Facebook page, which is Melissa Yuri um, dash. Uh, ultra endurance athlete i only just set that up so I still keep forgetting what i called it nice. um yeah yeah so that that'll all be there um i also had a guy doing a documentary um following me along um during uberman as well so hopefully that will be out next year i'm not entirely sure what we're going to be doing with that so we'll just have to kind of watch this space with that um but yeah i think in terms of like final thoughts and things like ultra racing for females is definitely it's on the rise which is amazing and i think uh, i don't know sometimes um other women need to kind of see one person do it then they're like yep cool that you know that's achievable or they didn't know about this or or anything so i really hope that you know more women get into um get into ultras and you know do uber men and you know like I was talking to Adam, the other athlete and his crew, and in the end they were saying, oh, you know, I reckon your course records are going to stay for a while. I was like, no, absolutely not. I reckon more people are going to come out and more people are going to go a hell of a lot faster because you absolutely could go a lot faster than, than what I did. Um, in terms of thank yous, like my crew were just absolutely incredible. There is no way you can do races like this without um, having a crew support around. So that was that was just absolutely incredible to, you know, each and each individual that I had there throughout um, throughout the event. So that was that was really cool. And I had um, amazing support from my sponsor Entrix as well. That's um, yeah, that's that's been really cool. That's um, you know been around for a number of years now too. So. Lots of really cool people around. Cool. Oh, no. Well, we, we, you know, I can't say it's my cup of tea, but your adventures are always, uh, (laughs) always bloody impressive, that and the Epic Five and all the other things you've done. So nice work. And um, thanks for sharing that with the listeners. I'm sure, as you said, a few more people might start lining up. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much. Hey, love your work. You're a bloody nut bar. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Okay, mate. John, your thoughts. Yeah, as I just said, not my cup of tea. Uh, impressive nonetheless, and to just be able to keep on chugging on. And, yeah, not something I plan on doing, but always interested to hear what other people are up to. Just just so you guys know, just before we pushed, pushed out, John said, yeah, that's my bad. And then as soon as he said it, he said, I hate it when people say that. I do hate it when people say that. <laughs> that's one where you could irritate me before the race, Kevin. Yeah. Come over and say. Oh, John, I don't want to talk to you, but it's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> Whoop, bump into you. Oh my bad. Oh my bad. My bad, mate. My bad. But that, but that can't. These things can backfire on you because I'd get pretty fired up. I might open a can of whoop ass. Do so you respond one. well to that? Sorry. You know, because it's interesting when you think like, like in team sports. You know, one of the challenges as a coach is to really figure out um, how to how to tap into the motivation of different individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people. They need to be like a beast, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you know, especially in like contact sport. Some people need a calm place, mm. you know. I do think you it, respond well to kind of angry energy? Uh, I think I would at the, in the start of the swim and at stages on the bike. I mean, stages on the run, probably on the bike, probably a bit more in control. If and we're talking long course here, if it was short course, slightly different story. You know, it's a bit more anger and, and getting fired up. But I think the, the dangerous aspect of it is if you, if you, to really try to build that up too far before race start, then then you can be getting if you're if you're wasting a lot of getting yeah. angry for like an hour before the wasting start. Mind space, eh? It's wasted. But if this was literally heading over the swim start, um, then that might be quite valuable. I, I I don't know if it's necessarily that valuable in Ironman. 
unless you're in the very last part of the run. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because Iron Man is not about emotion so much. Mm. You know, it's about a controlled, steady state where you kind of try to fight that emotional battle at the end. Mm. Short course, sprint, yeah, bit of anger. I'll hire you to come out to when I do some short course racing over summer. Just uh, talk, talk, talk irritating yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. When you go past the bog, I go, John, sorry, I'm here. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get John, let's do it. Three, two, one. Age, age group, group of the week. week. And we're going to look at the Kona winners in the age group categories from 40 to 59 uh, for 2019. And John, it's pretty interesting stuff. Well, yeah. So my age group, the 40 to 44 men, um, we had a couple of uh, Danes take it out. Carsten Dermont Sorensen took it out. He only managed he only did a 310 on the run, so he opened a can of whoop ass on the bike and the swim. Uh, only man in the age group to go sub nine hours went 856.49 to win by three minutes 24. Jeez, it was only 11 seconds between uh, second and third. Ooh, and the guy in 11. 11, and the guy oh, in third that was. Hurts. The guy in third was mowing him down. He ran over 255, and second only did a, a 304. That's. 11 seconds, you can see them in front of you. But you never know, things, you know, when we just look at numbers like that, they may have caught each other on the run and the, the guy might have surged away or something like that. Um, but in terms of the fellow who won, um, Sorensen, he swam a 53-58. That's a pretty solid swim over there. Rode 4.46 and then only needed a 3.10 to take out the win. In the women's 40 to 44, Georgina, I'm going to say Gadient, uh, she took it out with a dojo domination, winning by 22 minutes. Uh, total time of 10.01.14. Mm. So just above that 10 hour mark, which is pretty impressive of 40 to 44. You know, it's, it's great racing. She's from the Power Lab racing team in, in Switzerland. Uh, yeah, so love your work. Yep. Uh, oh, 45 to 49 men. You got a hard name here? No. You are, uh, if I didn't know who it was, Alexander Vinokurov took it out. <laughs> 8.48.28, that's a bloody impressive time. He's an ex-professional cyclist. Uh, that's enough said. Uh, three, uh, second place was Oscar Galindez, ex-professional triathlete. And he also went sub-9, 8.59.57. And third place, Mike Scherifler from Switzerland. He went 9.06. And I think he might be an ex-pro as well. Uh, so there you go. Top three in the 45 to 49. Okay, Jeanette. Whoa, this is a pretty good effort. Jeanette Domer. From, oh, I don't know that flag, John. It might be Denmark. Um, she did a 9.45.44. Mm. That's pretty impressive. And 45 mm. to 49, female. Solid. It's a solid effort. Now, her time, she did a swim of 102. She did a bike of 5.11. And then she ran a, a, a 3.25. I thought she ran a sub-three marathon, but her transition was 2.58. So, <laughs> um, she ran a 3.25. She ended up winning her age group by only by 10 minutes. So this is a pretty strong age group. So... The top three and the 45-49 beat the winner of the 40-45. to 45. That's fairly similar to the, to the, on the male side as well. Um, on the 50-54, to 54, Anthony Philippe from France took it out in 9 hours 17. Uh, he beat out fellow Frenchman and former uh, top cyclist. He was a green jersey winner in the Tour de France, Laurent Jalabier. He beat him by eight minutes. Um, and... and Anthony Philippe's splits were he swam a 102, rode a 458, and ran a 308. That's a really nicely balanced race. Uh, so well done to him. Well, then we go on to the 50 54 category for the females. Another dojo domination by Bert, I'm going to say Bite uh, Gutierrez. And she's from Germany, and she did a nine forty six. Solid. So she beat the she beat the forty age group. <laughs> That's impressive. And she won by. 
nearly 45 minutes. Wowzers. Yeah, that's... What a, we call that? That's uh, age group annihilation. Age group annihilation at the World Championships. Yeah. That's that. a great effort. Now, after that, it was a pretty close racing between second, third, fourth, and so on, but that is just how... That's how you win a race. Love your work. Uh, men's 55-59 last age group we'll be doing today Richard Sweet from the Triathlon Club of San Diego uh, came home in a 9.32 to win by 15 minutes and his splits were 59-37 in the swim 5.03 on the bike and 3.19 in the run and then females 50 to 50, oh, sorry, 55 to 59 it was Gillian Fullen from the UK from the Bedford Harriers AC she did a 10.45 she won another dojo domination she won by around about nearly 30 minutes uh, her times in her swim bike run let me pull that up her swim was 1.15 her bike was 5.41 and then her run was 3.40 I saw an article on her on try 247 okay. and I think she's now won every race there is to win in her age and I'm not sure if she did the clean sweep in one year but like she's what do you won mean, like 70.3 um, she's won ITU long distance uh, she's she won just about everything in her age group that was possible what I find interesting is looking at these results here John it's amazing how many dojo dominations we have mm. you know you think in the pointy end of age group championship racing you'd have closer racing yeah you know but like we've had um, on the females of the four categories we looked at there we saw more than three 20 minute wins mm. so you know pretty pretty amazing I, stuff. I, I totally agree at the same time we've seen some close finishes oh god it would rip your undies could be like 11 seconds oh. off that the problem oh. with that is there's just so many what ifs mm. you know what I mean oh what if I didn't stop doing my shoelace or what if I didn't you know, stop to this and transition, or what mm. if I, you know, oh. we don't want to harp on too much about the rugby, but I think the Poms probably feel similar to us. There wasn't really that many what ifs for the Poms or no, for us. It's like been by we got spanked, yeah, and okay, we'll get over it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't like it was, but yeah, when it's those few seconds. Ugh. Okay, John, let's go. Eight, eight, one, two, three. Website, website of the week. week, and this is a good one actually. It's the, it's the website's actually. The ni- no, sorry, 1989 as a numbers, thestory.com. And what it is, is Mark Allen, and it might be a bit of a kind of a throwback to that book that came out a few years ago. That I they, totally think it is. That they really didn't like. And I think what they, because it was written by Matt Fitzgerald, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was basically about. I think it was Iron War, I think. Yeah, you, know, you, you are right, actually. It was Iron War. And uh, they were very critical of the book. They really didn't like the book at all. They felt it was it painted them in, in a really negative light. Um, and they came out punching really um, and so then what they've done is they've created a page called the 19 no, it's not the it's just 1989thestory.com and it's basically Mark and Dave just talking through the race um, yeah. so yeah. it's certainly not a book but it's it's quite a long page um, and it's, I was it's sort a of, real long blog post is the way I think about yeah, it yeah I, I was scanning through it and, and yeah they sort of talked through how they were feeling one of the things that uh, I didn't notice it took them a long time before they actually got in front of the media and actually sort of talked through the race it was like in the 2000s or something like that yeah. before David they actually both sat down and sort of talked through their emotions of the race and David's going oh I didn't realise that's actually what you were going through but they both had very um, had strategies ready for the, the, the closing stages of the run and so Dave Scott's oh, maybe you guys should just read it but, but I'll talk about it the one thing Dave Scott's strategy was I, I am just going to crush this downhill so in Kona you get to the top of Palani Hill um, and then you've got a downhill and then you've got probably half a mile to the finish or so and so his strategy was I'm going to get to the top of that hill 
and then I'm just going to blitz him because nobody can stay with me on a downhill and I'm reckless and I'll just cane it. So I'm willing to take a risk because... And then it'll be race over. Um, And Mark... Didn't was wasn't quite sure what was he was going to do, and he went to go for it, to grab a drink at the last aid station before going up uh, what is now referred to as Mark and Dave Hill, which is a gentle incline before you turn right. And he was about to grab the drink, and he saw Dave Scott grab a drink, and he said, "I'm not going to take that," and he just caned it. Uh, I mean, we've all probably heard the Mark Allen story before, and if you haven't, um, well, here's, a, here's an interesting question because when I started the sport, the two stories were the Hoyts. Mm-hmm. And Mark and Dave, mm-hmm. and and let's be honest, those two stories sustained this the sport. And Julie Moss, mm-hmm. the, those three stories really sustained the sport for a long time after the fact. Like mm-hmm. I didn't say Ironman to maybe two thousand and three, and you know I remember kind of doing Ironman New Zealand, first time. It's just I think they showed Julie Moss and Dave Mark, you know, and this is this is like fourteen years after the fact. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were the legacy stories that just Ironman just rolled out and out mm-hmm. again. I wonder how many people who are new to sport know about the Mark and Dave story now. Oh, they still roll that out a lot. I mean, if you go to Kona, and and it it is so unique. So we've had other instances, like you might go, oh, what about Andreas Raylert versus Macca? That wasn't shoulder to shoulder the whole day. That was Raylert caught Macca up, and then they had a good, good duel coming back into town. Yeah. But it wasn't like they were together all but day. But they, they separated closer to the finish. It's true. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the sprint was more as a, 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 it was kind of around the last bend, wasn't it? Oh, I can't quite remember that one, the exact, the exact yeah. finish. Um, it wasn't the last bend, but it was kind of, it was only minutes away from there, whereas Mark and Dave was probably still another 4K from the finish. No, 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 theirs was pretty close. It's, it's on that that gentle incline up. They were only probably 2.5K to go. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to read well, the, through. The story of it is, is that, for those who don't know, I'm sure you do, but Dave Scott, Mark Allen was the best triathlete in the world, Everywhere, yep. except for Kona. And mm-hmm. he went to Kona like six times, never won, and Dave would always beat him. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just Mark, Mark Allen just couldn't figure it out. So he just figured one day, you know what, I'm just going to sit by the guy who's the champion. And what's interesting, I've just looked at the results here. So Mark Allen went 8.09.15, different course back then, but geez, they went fast. Uh, Dave Scott ended up losing a minute, and, and that's a pretty short space of time where he lost that. But then third place was 23 minutes back. But again, this... Who was third? <laughs> Greg Welsh was third, 23.01 behind. And then Ken Glare was fourth, 23.17, only 16 seconds between third and fourth. And I don't think Ken Glare ever got on the podium in Kona. I'm almost certain of it. Did he? Pretty sure he didn't. Oh, wow. So there you go. Uh, as Bevan said, 1989thestory.com. Yeah, let's check it out. So if you love the sport, you want to check, you want to enjoy that. Okay, John, uh, we're not doing, we've already done our interview. Uh, sponsor. Generation You Can. If you want to get a hold of some Generation You Can, uh, you can go on to generationyoucan.com and you can use promo code IAMTALK. If you're in Australia, generationyoucan.com.au. Canada, smartperformancenutrition.ca. And in New Zealand, superstarch.co.nz. Use promo code IAMTALK for IM Talk, and you get a 15% discount. Um, we had a couple of emails in from people who have been using it. Um, Matt Sheaf, uh, haven't got your nickname in front of me, Matt. He did the Auckland Marathon, which was a few weeks ago. And, th- and this is why it's really important to 
trial using products in different ways. You heard like how Tim um, Tim O'Donnell uses UCAN in conjunction with other products. You've heard how I use it. What Matt did in a marathon, he said he used he preloaded with UCAN, so he had it before the race, and then he made some UCAN gels from the powder um, for race for his race fueling, and he used uh, um, used that through the race, and then I think he used one regular gel towards the end to try to give him that sort of glycogen boost. Um, so he managed to do a negative split, fell short of his target time of 3.09, but he ran 3.12. His, however, his previous PB was 3.45. So he still managed yeah. a uh, fairly a large what, PB what, what in one hour was time. Throwing, no, maybe he was trying to qualify for like a New York or something. Oh, maybe it just spent time that he thought he could do. So it was kind of like a, a throw it out there. But yeah. he still improved by over 30 minutes. He didn't get any GI stress. Um, he usually gets with fuels and gels. And uh, he didn't bonk, bonk at all. Uh, he only fell short of his time because he couldn't close out the final 12 kilometres but still finished strong as I could no cramping and stitches uh, and then we had uh, so that was one good story for making the UCAM gels so what's that so I think what he did he and he said he used uh, baby um, baby food pouches baby food pouches and so he mixed up because the UCAM is quite a uh, it's it's a lot thicker um, consistency than say a sports drink, and he probably just made them a bit more concentrated, so okay. it was like a more like a gel than a um, than a liquid. Uh, I know gel is still a liquid, but you know more viscous, and uh, yeah, worked for him. So he was able to take that through. Uh, I don't know if that strategy would work for me or not. I haven't haven't tried it, but he's an innovator. Diff- he's different an innovator. ideas. Nice Patrick, work, man. Patrick Walkington's got here. Coach's corner. You can question as a Northern Anth- Hemisphere athlete. You guys don't want to rub you much. Um, <laughs> just coming off my season, having a clear, having never used UCAN before, how can I incorporate it into my current easy training schedule of two bikes, two runs, two swims per week, all generally less than an hour per session with not too much intensity? Cheers. So I think what you got to think about is what are, what are your goals? You know, um, are you thinking I want to use this UCAN for my long course racing next year? Am I going to use it for my short course? The reality is, you know. Um, at this stage of the season, if you if you are just ticking over with some general conditioning training, you're probably not really going to need sports nutrition to get through it. If you're only doing sessions that are yeah. uh, sort of 45 to 60 minutes long, you don't really need it. However, if you are sort of looking to go down like the low carb, high fat approach, then you can maybe um, it can can help you sort of get through your day in, in that regard. Um, so my advice for for you, if you are sort of just starting your off season, you think I really want to have a go on that, you can. Is now would be a good time to try to figure out the flavours you like it is a very different taste to what you experience um, with sports drinks it's not like a sports drink it's more more sort of smoothie like consistency so they've also got starter packs we talked on about uh, extreme endurance earlier in the show because I'm down here John yeah I brought Bevan a couple of samples today so you can you can buy a big tub of uh, of, of you can or you can buy um, sort of single serve packs so my advice to you um, Patrick would be get on there get a few starter packs figure out the flavours you like uh uh, and give it a crack, find the flavour you like, and then when you start to crank up your volume a bit more um, as you get into sort of the new year, that would be the time when you start to integrate it a bit more into your training. Um, so there you go. Just remember, you can products are powered by Superstarch, a uniquely low glycemic and complex carbohydrate that delivers steady, long-lasting energy with no spikes, no crashes, and keeps your body blood sugar steady. Uh, people love UCAM because it helps them avoid GI distress, bonking, and improves body composition, all with minimal or no sugar. You can find UCAM at the website that John mentioned earlier, so check it out. Remember, you get the discount, 15% off for the I Am Talk listeners. Just use the code IMTALK. That's all. No, no discount after that. So just add the, use the discount code IMTALK to get the discount. So Tom, got- 
Yeah, let's get on it, guys. Generation, you can. Winger of the week. Winger of the week. Okay, John, let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at the winger of the week. I'm going to say 100 because I want 100 bucks from South Africa. Do we have 100? Uh, we, that'll be our last uh, placed person okay. uh, on because it gives us a top a top 100 every week. Uh, Bevan, I'm just logging in and... You log in. Yep. And I'll pretend I'm doing something else. Okay. Yep, let's have that. Yep, it's good. Yep. Yep. Yep, it's a great podcast and people love it. Springboks won, I won $100. That's all that matters. Who's 100 Did you watch the game live? Yeah, I did. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good... It was a, it was a good tense contest. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't the most open rugby you're ever going to see, mm-hmm. but it was fit for a final. Go. You know what I mean? Like, it, was, it was nervous rugby. If you're a Pom, it would have been a hard game to watch. Yeah. But it was a bit like the All Black game. The Poms were beating us, but we kind of, 30 minutes ago, you think we can still win this. Yep. You know what I mean? And the Poms would have felt the same way. They were being dominated, but they were still only within six points. Just need a bit of a luck. And then the Springboks has got two tries at the end, which closed it off. John Eames uh, took it out. He did 11, He was in 100th place on our leaderboard. He did 11 hours, 31 minutes. He did a bit of everything, did nine, nine workouts, did two hours, 15 swimming, six hours on the bike, three hours and 16 minutes on the run. Uh, he's from Chesham. In England, in the nice. United Kingdom. Let's just keep laying into palms <laughs> this week. It's oh, no, we're giving him love. We are. We yeah. beat you in the 2020 cricket as well. Yeah, they beat us in the first game. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to dominate 2020 is a bit of flip, flip coin, that isn't is. it? You know, yeah. like 2020, it's, it's I don't know, I like, I like one day better. Mm. I love a one day cricket. Uh, John, okay, what's his name again? John Eames, but he's J-O-N, not J-O-H-N. John Eames from Cheshire, Chesham, England, United Kingdom. You're a winger of the week. Of the week. Okay, John Bowie, let's, let's talk about this. John's race report, you did your half marathon. I heard you're the champion. Um, you've, you've been the champion before in this race, haven't you? I have not, no. First time I did it, so it's called the Selwyn uh, Half Marathon. And it was actually incorporated in the Canterbury cross-country, uh, Canterbury Championships. Yeah, because you've won the Canterbury Championships before. Uh, it did years ago. Remember, did I? Because you, said, I remember you talking saying it might have been a different. You won fifteen. Did I? Yeah, I guarantee okay. it. Okay. I guarantee you won the Canterbury Half Ironman Championship, or Half Marathon? Marathon Championships. Did not know that. And I remember you saying because you were talking to Hellemans. I think Hellemans came around here for an interview afterwards. Yeah. And you're saying, yeah, I may, got maybe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you, you such, you're such a winner. You don't know how often you won. <laughs> anyway, I was. Uh, as, as you probably heard last week, I was a bit uh, unwavering in, in how I thought I would actually perform in this race, not knowing I wasn't in peak shape. And it was actually a good, just don't massage while I'm talking, concentrate. This was a, <laughs> this was a key race. This was the Canterbury Championships half you marathon. You are the best half marathon in our city. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a bit embarrassed when I finished because my time was pretty shizer. And was there any competition? There was one, one person who was competition. And I was thinking... It's a bit sad when I'm winning a running race and I'm running crap and I still manage to win. And that's not a reflection to say that I'm a good runner. It's a reflection. It's, it, it's not there should be other better people yeah. out than, than, than this. Anyway, so I, yeah, last week I was going into it thinking, hmm, I'm not in very good shape here. I'm not really quite sure what time I'm going to do. Um, but it was, it was good for the head in terms of actually going in going, you know, I'm not in good shape. I'm going to roll the dice. And I'm gonna, my main objective is I want to get to the finish line knowing I'll run as hard as I possibly can. And whatever the result is, it is. And I did say last week that my strategy was probably to go into it more as and race it rather than necessarily sort of TT it. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of how it panned out. So I knew there was one other fella in the race who's a bit better runner than I am. And oh, run so against he had a bad day. He did. So we uh, we took off at the beginning, and the two of us, after about 500 metres, sort of cleared cleared out from everybody else. So do you duck in behind, or are you leading at the stage? Um, 
we were sort of shoulder to shoulder initially, and then uh, and then I sort of ducked in behind. Now I wasn't running to pace. I intentionally wasn't running to pace. So I just thought I'm going to go by feel. And he's I know he's about my pace. He's a little bit quicker, but I'm going to take a bit of risk here. And I was looking at each K that was clicking over. Then I would look at my watch, and I was looking down my watch, going, "This is a little bit quick, I think, but it feels quite comfortable." What, what were you sitting on? Uh, so, so I think the first K was like a three twenty-three, uh, and then it was like a three twenty-six, and then like a three twenty-seven, and then like a three twenty-eight, or something along yeah. those lines. And so we went through five K quicker than what I've done a park run <laughs> recently by a fair margin, but it felt pretty comfortable. And we were, we were still running in the shade at that stage. There was quite a few trees and stuff. So for those who don't know, Bracer had the hottest day of the year. By um, a long yeah, way. It yeah. got up to 30 degrees and, you know, this is the start of our summer. Yeah. Uh, and then once we sort of turned 5Ks, then the then the pace sort of slowed. The effort did not change. So wait, you guys, you guys both slowed the same pace? Yeah. He, then, then he sort of forced me, as we were talking before, sort of forced me into the lead for a bit. And so I was leading for a bit and then he came around me again. But at, then our pace was, was, was dropping off and it was getting pretty toasty. <laughs> and so I was, I was going through my mind, how am I going to play this out? He, I, I don't know if he's sort of foxing here and he's just going a bit easier and he's going to gas me later on or what's quite going on. So I just sort of stuck behind him and... And then I just oh this is starting this pace is just starting to get a bit bit too slow. So at ten k's I went round him at the ten k mark and just sort of up the effort a bit, and uh, he dropped off. So I had to bloody run the last eleven kilometres, basically solo TTing uh, and pushing myself all the way. And it was um, it was bloody hard work. <laughs> but I will say, having a lead vehicle makes a big difference. So we had a, a vehicle in front of me, probably twenty or thirty metres in front, and uh, just having something there was so much help. Uh, even though he wasn't pacing me or anything like that, it's just a, kind of a focus, a focus, and just sort of kept you reminded to to keep the pressure on. Had I been just out there TTing it, it would have been a hell of a lot. How did you win by? Uh, ended up winning by a minute. Okay, but the challenge, one of the, the challenges I had was, I didn't want to look behind. I was saying, "Don't look behind, don't look behind," because I don't think he's that far behind. And if he sees me looking behind, then he'll probably know that I'm suffering. And I was suffering like a dog. <laughs> and and then we made this turn with, a, I think it was about three and a half k's to go. So, so they, now you get a chance to when, see him. when you do the not not a turn, sorry, when, it was just a, a right hand turn rather than a U turn. So I did the old cheeky look over the shoulder, and I could see he was a fair distance back. I thought he's. I'm going to have to explode and he's going to have to be running 330s in this last section to, yeah. to catch me up. And so I thought, okay, just just hold it together. Just hold it together to finish and, and make the finish. And again, it was it was toasty. And then I turned around with about a K and a half to go and I saw somebody in black behind me, like 100 metres behind and I thought, oh, no, I can't let it slip here. No. If he gasses it, fair, good play, you take the win. So I went as hard as I could and there wasn't much in the tank, so it wasn't a big increase in pace. It wasn't him? Held on to the finish, and and then it wasn't him, because it was a five k and a ten k at the same time, and they merged onto the course, and he was wearing a a black outfit. I didn't have a good look. Somebody in black. Oh God! (laughs) But anyway, that was uh, so. My time was only a one eighteen high. It was pretty. uh, That was sort of worst case scenario. But I do think, and I'm not making excuses, but the heat. it takes a couple of couple of seconds of case. It's got I've got it's got to it's got to. <laughs> um, but it was fun going out there and actually racing rather than just teeing it because it would have been miserable running by myself the whole way. Uh, and I was really pleased with with how I executed in terms of 
when the going gets tough, I sort of just managed to, to hold myself together. Um, it was good for me to have a week of mentally preparing for it. For it. And, and what I do in that regard is, you know, I'm really focusing on the second half of the run, you know, how I want to handle myself. That's the sort of visualization I'll do during the week is going, right, and you know it's going to get yeah. tough during that second half. How am I going to respond to that? So for me in the race, whenever it sort of got tough, it's always a case of, right, lift your knees a little bit higher, lift your heels a little bit higher, stand nice and tall and, and run with good posture. Relax. So yeah, did, did well in that regard. And you know, as I said, when I started this, the main thing was I wanted to know I was, I was going to be cooked at the finish and I was gone burger at the finish and I was smoked for the entire rest of the day. So felt like I put in as a bigger effort as I could. And when I looked at my heart rate, uh, it was only two beats lower than uh, what I'd done for a 15k race earlier in the year. So that really shows that I did put in a good effort. Um, and again, when I can and this is an excuse, but when I compare the conditions, you know, the race we did in April, really cool, a little bit of drizzle about. This time it was, you know, probably about, I don't know, about 25 degrees and we've gone from not being too hot. And so I think that's a really good indication to me that heart rate was pretty similar, pace was significantly slower. Um, so you do need to factor that in if you're going from, you know, warm, uh, cool conditions to warm racing that your heart rate's going to be higher and you're going to have to accept your pace is a little bit slower. Porno did the race as well. He, he biked out there and biked back. He must have been just, I know, he actually sent me a text with an ice cream. And I was like, that's an ice cream well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to offer him a ride home that I forgot. <laughs> oh, but you? actually, it would have been good for him to bike home. Because he's doing your Oxman. And good recovery. Biking, if, you can, if you're doing a really hard run, if you can bike home, man. Away, what kind of bike would it be? <laughs> so we're out in the middle of nowhere. It would have been a fair bike home. <laughs> it would have been, you know, And easy, it was one of those days it was hot and still. There was no oh. draft at all, was there? Yeah. Just, yeah. what was it, the pub having a lunch meal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good times. Half marathon's hard, man. You're they, running at a hard yeah, effort. It's a good race, isn't it? And you're on the, and this was all on the road. Yeah, solid. Good times. Okay, John, uh, questions and answers. This is good old Skip Slade. He's a good man. He can bullet points. Love bullet points. Yeah, he's got here. Considering your recent show's comments, uh, US Triathlon have partnered just this month with a CBD oil company. So it's kind of, I suppose, his point is if it's that much of a problem, you don't think triathlon would be... Well, you just got to be careful when any supplements you take, and that's one of the things I like about extreme endurance in terms of extreme endurance and the immune boost. You know, it does have that certification that it does get tested. Geez, you've got to be careful with all this sort of stuff, and, and you might have one rule in America that doesn't necessarily apply elsewhere, and if you start taking those products at a race and you do happen to get tested, um, you've got to be careful what you take in. Yep, so that's one important. He's got bullet point number two. Mike Plant, uh, who recently passed away, who I let you know passed away last year, has been inducted into the USAT Hall of Fame along with the Hoyts. He's going to go see that as well. Just, I know we've talked about Mike in the past, but John? He's, maybe he's mentioned in this Olympic Dream book we talked about earlier. If you want to find out more about Mike, go to Legends of Triathlon. He was one of the earlier interviews we did and a great interview. I, and he'll, I've, I've said this every time we talk about him, but... The thing I loved that Mike said, he was he was one of the media guys basically behind the sport, magazines and all the rest of it, and, and voice of the sport kind of guy. Um, but he said, with the only downfall of triathlon night nowadays is the, the sense of adventure's maybe gone a bit away. Mm. You know, and just that sense of, hey, let's just try something crazy, which I always liked about the sport. Uh, John, if you wear, outwear your running shoes in the toe, why don't you just use some duct tape? Yeah, that's, that's not going to work for me. Why not? Duct tape, you're not going to run with duct tape on your shoe. Cricket players do it. 
Who are they cut their toes out, don't they? They do. I'm not a cricket player. Okay. Uh, and he's got a question about nicknames. Do you still have a list of patrons with nicknames and pictures? We still have on our website. Um, if, if you're a patron, if you haven't sent through a picture, um, we've got a picture of all the patrons from the past on there, so you can go check them out. And uh, most of them have got a little little bit about them as well. Love your work. Okay, John, let's actually mention the patrons right now. John, you go, I'll go first. I'll go Mark Hot Rod Dixon. Julian, the Commandant Schwartz. John Fredrickson, uh, the Falcon. Yeah, the Falcon was out running at the weekend as well out in Selwyn. He, How'd was, he, go? he was flying. Was he? <laughs> yeah. You're here a week. <laughs> I'm here a week. How did he go? Uh, good. Uh, yeah, he said he, uh, he felt the heat. But for me and, and him, it's like, geez, I haven't run a half marathon in a long, long time. And the, the guy you beat, did you have you to him afterwards? Yeah. I mean, he, he he's probably about a 114 half marathoner. Okay. And realistically, I probably would struggle to get in 114 if I did like a year's focus maybe. 115 is probably best case scenario for me. Uh, so he had a pretty poor run. He's a bit better than better runner than me. And yeah. uh, he's like, yeah, that was like marathon pace. And I was like, I don't know. I think the... Maybe went out a little bit too quick and the heat and just not having many others around to sort of yeah. help egg you on. Okay, John. Uh, John, if you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. It's all very clear once you go to the webpage. Support the boys, win a trip to Kona, and also uh, get gifts depending on your level of patronage. You can also get the show emailed to you. Just go to that same website and go to the bottom of the page, put your information in, and I'll email it to you each week. If you want some coaching, coachjohnnewsome.com for a great coach who will help you achieve your running and fitness goals or triathlon goals. Uh, if you want to check out my website, I actually did a website. Uh, I did an interview on my podcast this week of with a nutritionist around the first thousand days with nutrition for a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got young ones in your life, you may want to check that out. It was a really good interview. Uh, and then uh, Age Group of the Week, Websites of the Week, call feedback, anything like that. Podcast at gmail.com is where you go to do that. John Bo, your goss. What's my goss? Um, what's my goss? Buying a bloody car. <gasps> John always wants a deal. <laughs> and this is fun. <laughs> So I felt we found in this car that right. It was just it t- ticked pretty much all the boxes, you know, in terms of just it's the little things. It had a tow bar. It's like oh, I swear, you don't have to go get a tow yeah. bar. So we're buying a secondhand car. I don't buy new cars, and no. uh, and it, it sort of ticked all the boxes. So I said to Tom, right, I'm going to get a deal. So wait, wait, wait. What, what, what kind of price were they wanting? Uh, it was sixteen thousand. Okay. Yeah, sixteen thousand. <clears throat> and then we we got next to nothing for a trade on our car. Piece yeah. of shit that it is. <laughs> um, and uh, so wait, have you bought a car? Well, we go, okay, I've, just, I've just got going. an email here at the moment. Keep going, keep going. So. He, he wouldn't budge on the price. I'm like, far out, man. Give, give us a break here. <laughs> I've talked myself up to myself. Yeah, I've talked myself up. And so I, we, we made one visit and, and I think we, we made quite a few selling signs. That like, yeah, I think we kind of want this car. He was probably sitting there going, these guys are going to get this car. Yeah. And then I went back and, uh, and I took it for another drive and just wanted, wanted to check it out. I said, oh, what can we do on the price here? You know, I'm quite keen. I'm, I'm sort of interested, but I've got, so I said, oh, I've got a few other cars that I'm looking at. <laughs> didn't have anything. There was like nothing else ticking. We looked at all those cars. Like, There's nothing else out there that we want. This is the only one that sort of works. I'm like, oh, no. You're in the bad position. I was like, oh, yeah, we've got these other cars. Blinder doesn't really want this one, but I, I think I kind of want it. So <laughs> I could talk it around. And so and he said, he, I said, so what can we do on the price? Yeah, nothing. He'd already dropped the price by 1000 Not for me. It was on special, you know, oh, yeah. one of those special. Uh, I said to Tom, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting this car and I'm not paying the price that he wants me to pay. And, uh, and so it finally came down to the third time that I went and I said, oh, <laughs> oh, right. you've, you've gone back a third time. The third time. Oh, he, he's got you under his thumb. Yeah. And I said, look, 
this other company said they'd give us this and they did say they'd give us this amount so what can you do and so I managed to get 500 bucks down you showed them John so I showed him Tom was, Tom was like oh man Tom thought I was a legend <laughs> so I thought, oh, this, this is great uh, and but the condition was um, I had, we had to get to trade our car and has to get a warrant because you can't sell you can't actually sell a car unless the warrant's been done within one month really yeah and so, what, what's that about because what if I'm a mechanic who can fix up cars um, well, you just got to, as long as you got a warrant on your car, it's got to be within one, within one month, or you can't sell it. It's illegal. So you put, potentially you can, but it's illegal. Anyway, so the guy to take the trade in, he says you got to have a warrant. I said, okay, I that's so fine. here's the problem. So here's the problem. I said, oh, I was looking at the tires, going, oh shit. There's five hundred bucks worth of tires. tires. Those two of those tires, I don't think they're going to pass a warrant, but we'll see what I can do. So we went along with the mechanic. Oh yeah, you might scrape through with one of them, but we'll put a, we can put a second hand one on the other one. I said, sweet. Do what that. does that cost you? Oh, that's only about like fifty bucks. Okay, so, so you're now four fifty like, down. Oh, sweet. <laughs> But so I said, okay, we'll book it in for a warrant and get the warrant done yesterday. Comes out, yeah. A few other things going on. It's like, can it cost me a thousand bucks to fix a car? Oh, no. I was like, oh, God. So it's ended up going to cost you a 16 and a half of that. Yeah, so I'm paying 500 bucks more. <laughs> Don't tell Thomas that bit. Oh, damn. Negotiation's really interesting, eh? Because I've, um, I've got a friend who bought a house, or was in the process of buying a house. Mm. And amazing how people get stupid with emotion. Mm. Um, and, and, just to me, the one thing I've always been really good with in a negotiation is don't need emotion, get involved. Mm-hmm. So my friends got this house. They've loved it. You know, I'm mm-hmm. buying this house, dream house. And the first thing I said, oh, well, look, you've got to stop that thinking. Mm-hmm. It's not dream house. There's plenty of houses out there. <laughs> um, and they wanted like maybe, I think they wanted 400000 for it. Mm-hmm. But if you do your research, because nowadays you can find out what's selling in the area and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, so I, I did my research and I think it's probably worth about three fifty to three sixty at best. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, look, they're well over well over but when it's new to the market mm. people think they've gone gold mine so I, I said no just just say look 350s and give them the reasons why they had old bathroom kitchen tell them why bam and bang and then just walk away <laughs> so they end up they, they, they did what I said oh good and then two days later Bev I've gone in with an offer of 370 <laughs> <laughs> they just they're going to contain themselves and then yeah. the person took the offer straight away yeah. and they said I could have got it lower oh, no, sh- no shit Sherlock <laughs> Just it, it's a hold your emotions, team. Yeah, you know, jeepers, creepers. So yeah. you know, that little bit of emotion will probably cost them twenty k. Yeah, you know, when you think that's a mortgage, that's forty k over a lifetime. Mm. Emotions. Be like Newsom, <laughs> talk him down. Talk him down. Took a bit of hard work. I don't think I was. What's the get best anywhere. negotiation you've ever done? Um, <clears throat> our house that we bought, but we we weren't lying with that when we went in. We went in with our. <clears throat> The lowest offer I could do, but it was also the highest offer I could do. Like it was way under what they wanted. That that's the best we got. Is that what you just? That's what happened here as well. Yeah, we go and we we walked away, and we were like, and we were well, like we were like we were were Mm. lowballing big time, Um, but it was kind of the best we could do. We probably could have done a bit more, Sean. But um, but we we did the walk away thing, and they rang us a month later back. Mm. Said we'll take it. So yeah. Walk away, mm. spray and walk away, John. Mm-hmm. We're looking at you. Look at you. Oh, you see, well, there's a couple. We had an AA done, report done on uh, our car, uh, the car we're buying, and it had a couple of things that need to be done. I emailed the guy, thinking he's probably not going to fix them. He'll say, "Oh, that, you should just be able to see that." And he said he's going to fix them. So sweet. Uh, when you get a new car, then later this week, hopefully. Oh, I have to take some photos. Put on next week's photo <laughs> yeah. on the website. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.